Is it okay for certain girls to seek out romance with married men? Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Someone thought that it would be a good idea for us to rummage around further into the foundation and foundational teachings of Mormonism. Now, since it is Jesus who's the Savior, and he taught that a good root produces good fruit, we need to check out the root or the foundation of Mormonism Mm -hmm. to the greatest extent possible, to the deepest level possible. They may cover up the root, which they've done, but covering it doesn't change what it is or how it started or their original teachings and doctrines. So in our ongoing endeavor to reveal the root or foundation of Mormonism, specifically Mormon polygamy, we're going to focus this and the next two programs on Orson Pratt. (laughs) He's very quotable, isn't he? (laughs) Very quotable. And we're going to quote his position on polygamy first. Yeah, this is taken from his book, The Seer, in 1853. Parents who have daughters should seek to instill in their minds that it is just as honorable for them to be united in marriage to a good man who is already a husband as to one that is single. There you have it. (laughs) Easy. Here they are encouraging adultery. The parents were advised to teach their daughters to seek out married men. Well, for they use honorable, he used the words honorable and good, a good man in this quote. But I might add a good man, a good man would not appreciate a single woman chasing after him. And a good man would refuse a female who tried to catch his attention in that way. That's what a good man would do. So now we're going to look into more of what Orson Pratt taught in a book entitled The Seer. Now, the book itself is a compilation of articles that were written by Orson Pratt in commemoration of Joseph Smith, who some people call the great seer of the last days. And these articles were first written by Pratt as periodicals, kind of like a newsletter or magazine that we would have today. And they supposedly gave explanation and the reasoning for some very odd doctrines of Mormonism. Volume 1 is dated January 1853, and it covers the years 1853 and 1854, when Mormonism was still in its infancy, more or less. We read this from Volume 1, Number 1, Page (laughs) 1. The pages of the seer will be mostly occupied with original matter, elucidating the doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as revealed in both ancient and modern revelations. The prophecies relating to the grand and remarkable events of the last days will be carefully examined and unfolded. The doctrine of celestial marriage or marriage for all eternity as believed and practiced by the saints in Utah Territory will be clearly explained. The views of the saints in regard to the ancient patriarchal order of matrimony or plurality of wives as developed in a revelation given through Joseph the seer will be fully published. The celestial origin and pre-existence of the spirits of men, their first estate or probation in a previous world, the great benefits derived by descending from heaven and entering fleshly tabernacles and keeping the laws of their second estate and their final redemption and exaltation as gods in their future states are subjects which will more or less occupy the pages of the seer. 
Now, a lot of that <laughs> phrases and words of vernacular that he used is specific Mormonism. It's it Mormon words, and, yes. and, and it means something different to them than it would to a regular Christian, Bible-reading Christian. For sure. And here, uh, Orson Pratt said that he's going to elucidate the teachings and, uh, and revelations of Joseph Smith. Now, elucidate means to clarify. Yet, in all honesty, instead of clarifying what Smith taught, it seems that Orson Pratt embellished yeah. <laughs> rather heavily on them. And, and he didn't have any verification or proof in the hundreds of pages of information that he presents, just the thinking of his own mind, which he obviously considered being intelligent and divinely inspired, inspired ideas given to him through Joseph Smith and from God himself. Now, some of his ideas are way out there. I think they're clear out to Kolob. They're so, they're so far out. And most of his conclusions are based on his own very flawed and prejudiced logic. Pratt seemed to have been very impressed with his own intelligence and wisdom. I yeah. gather that from the way yeah. he wrote. Unfortunately, his intelligence was foolishness according to God's standards because Pratt rejected the God of the Bible and created, created his own idea of who God is and what God's plans were and what they are. And we quote what God said about that kind of wisdom. Mm. <laughs> A couple of quotes from 1 Corinthians. This first one from chapter 1, 18 through 21. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So all of that perceived wisdom that Orson Pratt uses in his book is yeah. foolishness. Yeah. And when you compare it with what the Bible teaches, it is foolishness. Especially if it's not based on the Bible. Absolutely, <laughs> right. and none of it is. So the assumed intelligence of Orson Pratt has been proven to be utter foolishness. Even the LDS Church, the church that once fully embraced him, has drawn away from most of, of Pratt's yeah, you teachings. Don't hear him quoted too often. I <laughs> don't. I don't think they print the book anymore. It's my no. understanding that they no. don't even print the book. So as no. so as we go through some of, of what Pratt wrote, you will understand why uh, they don't teach or preach or quote <laughs> Orson Pratt very much anymore. But uh, beware, because the polygamists do. In the paragraph under the heading prospects or prospectus of the seer, he, he's validating himself in these next few quotes that we're going to use. Yeah. Um, Orson Pratt urged the president-elect of the United States of America, the high-minded governors of the states, the legislature of each state and territory, and every minister of every religion in the United States of America to pay attention to what he wrote. Wow. That sounds a lot like Warren Jeffs when he released that big, thick book of Revelation. He sent it to leaders of other countries, yeah, told yeah. them they better, better better read that. 
Pratt advised these political and religious uh, readers, leaders to read his articles for the following reasons, and we quote. These reasons were that through the medium of our own writings, they may be more correctly and fully informed in regard to the peculiar doctrines, views, practices, and expectations of the saints who now flourish in the mountain territory and who will eventually flourish over the whole earth. And we say to all nations, subscribe for the seer, and we promise you a true and faithful description of all the principal features characterizing this great and last dispensation of the fullness of times. The seer will be published monthly at a dollar per annum in advance. Orson Pratt, editor, Washington City in, in the District of Columbia. DC. Yeah. Okay, so here he's advising them all. They're going to learn a lot of truth and the principle and characteristics of all the great things that the Mormons were doing. Well, first, we want to give you a short history of Orson Pratt himself and his odd relationship with Joseph Smith, including his original position on Joseph Smith's idea of polygamy. Orson's wife was Sarah Pratt, and while Orson was away on a Mormon mission, <laughs> Joseph Smith approached Sarah with a proposal to become one of his plural wives, one of his spiritual wives, and she rejected it. She said she had one husband, and that was good enough for her. Joseph Smith wasn't of the nature to easily accept rejection, so and Sarah was <laughs> the nature that she wasn't easily propositioned or intimidated. We read one account of the proposal. Yes, she, Sarah Pratt, stoutly repelled his repeated approaches, though she had to pay the penalty for refusing to consecrate her honor. She has been ever since hated and slandered by the Mormon leaders. Joe threatened her if she divulged to her husband or anyone else what he had proposed, adding, If you do, I will ruin your character. I will deny everything, and the church will believe me and not you. My standing in the church must be upheld at any cost and sacrifice. He kept his word. And, you know, we read this same account in many different authors of yeah. that early day. So we can't just say that this is somebody made it up because they didn't like the Mormons. Yeah. There's just too many people have written down this precise thing. This. So when Orson Pratt had returned from his mission, Sarah did tell him uh, about Joseph Smith's treatment and his threats and proposal. It upset Orson so badly that he turned on Joseph Smith and he went into solitude and left a note that some of his friends interpreted as being suicidal. Mm. We quote from Mormon polygamy. Ebenezer Robinson later remembered the excitement. Apostle Pratt had been told Joseph wanted Orson's wife as his own plural wife. Under these circumstances, his mind temporarily gave way, and he wandered away. No one knew where. The missing apostle was found five miles below Nauvoo and immediately brought back. Okay, so he's going into some kind of a mental, emotional crisis <laughs> here. Like it. Joseph Smith, of course, quickly reacted. He called a public meeting and denied the charges. Brigham Young got on the bandwagon as well, and he wrote a letter to Orson's brother, Parley, Parley Pratt, saying that Orson was in trouble because of his wife's charges against Joseph Smith, mm. and Orson doesn't know whether to believe his wife or to believe his prophet. <laughs> Brigham wrote, quote, we will not let Brother Orson go away from us as he is too good a man to have a woman destroy him, end quote. So, as is normal in all of Mormonism, the man is vindicated and the woman takes the blame yeah, for his indiscretions. 
Rumors were buzzed throughout Nauvoo about Orson and Sarah Pratt. Some people tried to influence Orson to stand by his wife. He had vowed (laughs) to protect her. And if he didn't, his character would suffer a permanent stain, which he would never be able to remove. Brigham Young, however, said that he and the quorum labored constantly with Pratt, whom he said, quote, his mind became so darkened by the influence and statements of his wife that he came out in rebellion against Joseph, refusing to believe his testimony and obey his counsel. So when Orson insisted that he believed his wife rather than Joseph Smith, Brigham threatened him. He told him his position was in jeopardy. If he continued to believe his wife, he was going to hell. <laughs> the ex- that's not what sends people to hell. No. <laughs> The excommunication of Orson Pratt was handled mostly by Brigham Young because of the same the, the because at the same time that all of this was going on, Joseph Smith had several hot irons in the very hot fire, we quote. There's also from Mormon polygamy Richard Van Wagner. Mm-hmm. He was walking a tightrope, secretly courting both 38-year-old Eliza R. Snow and 17-year-old Sarah Ann Whitney while fighting extradition to Missouri as an accessory to an assault with intent to kill former Governor Lilburn Boggs. Smith was also at odds with his longtime friend and counselor, Sidney Rigdon, over a reputed polygamous proposal to Rigdon's unmarried daughter, Nancy. <laughs> he had a lot of irons in the fire, as you say. But, yeah. What is so strange, we see that he's busy fighting battles on every front here, but uh, he's continuing to seduce women he's, in his hair. And that's why he's in trouble with Orson, is because he was trying to seduce <laughs> yeah. his wife. Yeah. But he, it doesn't, he doesn't learn no. from his mistakes. He just continued to, mm. to go out and do the same thing, get the same trouble. <laughs> He got in trouble you with know, Nancy Rigdon as every well. Every place he went, he had trouble with sexual situations. There were some kind of charges yeah. against him because yeah. of some kind of a sexual indiscretion. Yeah. That's... Orson Pratt never gave up his faith in Mormonism, however, despite all of the this ongoing and temporary estrangement uh, with Joseph Smith. He was later accepted back into the fellowship. <laughs> And he and Sarah were both rebaptized by Joseph Smith himself. And Orson received again the priesthood and the same power and authority as before. We wonder what went in behind the scenes on this that maybe was never written down, that they would even come back. I can't help but wonder and ask, why would Sarah Pratt... Uh, subject herself yeah. to to being to and the prophet, the one who proposed adultery to her and threatened to ruin her character, let him baptize her this again. This wasn't hearsay. This is what she experienced. Mm-hmm. So you'd think she'd have exactly some, some questions about his authenticity or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it makes you wonder what was said behind the closed yeah. doors, maybe between Orson Pratt and her, and promises or threats or. What, whatever yeah, sure it might some have been. Eternal threats in there or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But she did, and they did, and they came back. And, and after these events, Pratt, Orson Pratt, accepted polygamy. He jumped into it with all fours. He immersed himself into the practice with all his might and loyalty to the Mormon polygamy cause. Sarah Pratt, of course, was his first wife. Yeah. But after her negative experiences with Joseph Smith and eventually with her own husband's uh, polygamy, Sarah 
finally left Orson and became a strong critic of Mormon polygamy. She founded the Anti-Polygamy Society in Salt Lake City and referred to herself as a Mormon apostate. Yeah, this is from Dr. W. Weil. Is that how you say his Mm -hmm. last name? Mormon Portraits. And he's written... Her husband, Orson Pratt, who became, under the influence of polygamy, as coarsely selfish as any other polygamist, and went so far in his abject slavery as to join Prophet Brigham in his attempt to defraud the victim, his own wife, and the mother of his children. And of course, they came, Joseph Smith died, God was killed, and then Brigham Young took the helm, and they all went west to Utah. Orson Pratt, Sarah Pratt, and all the polygamous men and their wives went with them. And after they got to Salt Lake, then Brigham is in charge completely, and Orson Pratt is taken under his wing, and he starts to march to Brigham Young's tune without any uh, complaints. Now, during all of this time, the Mormons continued to deny their polygamy, even after Joseph Smith was killed. Um, It wasn't until 1852, however, that they had, after they had migrated to Utah Territory, which is 1847, that they first came here. So it was a few years yet, even after that, that they officially and publicly revealed (laughs) their belief in and their practice of polygamy for salvation. And the person who was designed to deliver that particular sermon was none other than Orson Pratt. Mm -hmm. He was a loyal soldier for the Mormon patriarchy and polygamy. It was the summer of 1852 when Pratt preached the sermon in which he taught the Mormon principle of polygamy and the blessings of raising many children up in the LDS church. You can find the entire sermon in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, pages 349 through 364. That's a lot of pages. That must have been a long sermon. (laughs) So Orson Pratt became the official spokesperson on behalf of Mormon polygamy, and of course, he himself became a polygamist. He took his last wife when he was 57 years old, and his new bride was only 16 years old, and she was his 10th wife, Mm -hmm. we quote. After returning from England in early 1868, the 57-year-old man began courting a 16-year-old girl who would become his 10th wife. At 51, Sarah could no longer bear children, and she had come to resent bitterly Pratt's relationships with women younger than their eldest daughter. In an 1877 interview, she lashed out, lashed out at him. Here was my husband, she said, a gray-headed taking to his bed young girls in mockery of marriage. Of course, there could be no joy for him in such an intercourse except the indulgence of his fanaticism and of something else, perhaps, which I hesitate to mention. (laughs) And we, I guess, cannot know what that is, but she was very displeased, disappointed, discouraged, and disenchanted with the whole thing. Well, she, she must have been quite a personality if she, re, you know, rejected Joseph Smith's advances and then eventually yeah. probably told Orson off pretty well. I yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and I've read several different interviews from different people who interviewed her or told that story, and she was, she's pretty feisty. Yeah. She stood up for herself. Well, and she and had the, that anti-polygamy society. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. And, and, right and proudly called herself an apostate. Yeah. So <laughs> that is pretty good. Yeah. 
So as we get into uh, some of the quotes of Orson Pratt's book, The Seer, uh, you have kind of a brief backstory yeah. of Orson Pratt and his initial reaction to polygamy. Joseph Smith's attempted seduction of his wife and his subsequent submission to polygamy and his zealous defense of polygamy until his death. Now, Sarah's opinion of polygamy was fiery condemnation. <laughs> she said this. Did you read that? Uh, sure. She said that polygamy completely demoralizes good men and makes bad men correspondingly worse. As for the women, well, God help them. First wives, it renders desperate or else heartbroken, mean-spirited creatures. And she's speaking from experience there. Yeah, she sure is. And you can talk to first wives today in today's polygamy groups. And they get to spend the initial marriage alone with just when her husband only has one wife. Yeah. And so it's doubly painful when he takes his first or second or third girl wife. How, how demoralizing, as, as she said, yeah. it is to, yeah. to not be important anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly Sad. right. And you're not that important. You're not. And what's amazing to me, and this is kind of a rabbit trail, but I, again, you know, I read a lot of articles about these kinds of things. And in the polygamy ceremony, we quoted on it the show one time several months ago, that the ceremony says that, ask the husband, are you going to cling to her and no one else? And ask her, are you going to cling to him and no one else? And they both say yes. Yeah. And here he is a polygamist clinging to other wives already and will probably take more wives to cling to. How can they have that kind of a ceremony? And how can he say yes? I don't know. It, and how the women can sit there and listen, stand there, I guess, and listen to that uh, commitment as well. Right, right. I don't, I don't, there's some... Some disconnect going on here that I can't quite fathom. Well, it's belief in the system, I guess, and that's that's the way to salvation, and that's just it wrong. is. It yeah. is. It's I the way to salvation. It's the way to please God. So it is this Orson Pratt that we've been talking about, who penned the articles that were bound together in one single book entitled *The Seer*. And as we pick our way through his writings. You'll easily de detect his arrogance, yeah. his self-assumed intelligence, and how he illogically bases his spiritual views on mere presumptions, and we'll point some of them out as we go. Of course, we can't cover everything, and, and <laughs> the, you can still buy the book if you're interested in reading it all. But it's Pratt's mathematics that gave him the conclusion that every god in all of the universes are polygamists, and he calculated how many wives each god would need to have to populate a planet, <laughs> and how often he would have to have sex with each of his wives so they would become pregnant and populate his planet in a timely manner. Now, you can watch our program. We dealt with this completely yeah. in one of our uh, programs. And you can watch that program on whatloveisthis.tv. What it's show number 801. And it was taped January, released January 8, 2015. And, I, you know, as I was looking through that, I thought, this is the kind of mathemat mathematicians <laughs> that the That's world needs, nightmare. right? Yeah. <laughs> on page two of his book, The Seer, he labels the beginnings of these writings the first epistle of Orson Pratt. Whoa, you know. And that it was published in 1853, and he publishes his letter of appointment 
from for his work that he's doing for the Mormon Church. Again, he's patting himself on the back, and maybe maybe he's presenting himself as being, "See, I can do this." Yeah. But we quote only in part. Yeah, from page two. This certifies that Professor Orson Pratt of the University of Deseret, one of the apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is appointed by us to preside over the affairs of the Church throughout the United States and the British provinces in North America, and also to write and publish periodicals, pamphlets, books, etc., illustrative of the principles and doctrines of the Church, and we request the elders and other officers and members of the Church to give diligent heed to his counsels as the words of life and salvation. And that kind of bothered me that he supposedly had the words of life and salvation, yeah. especially when we read his nonsense. So, but, but from this letter of appointment, we can assume that within the pages of this book, we'll find the words of life and salvation. His letter of appointment was signed by the prophet and first presidency of the LDS Church, Brigham Young, and also Heber C. Kimball and Willard Richards. Now, they were, they were either being truthful or false when they signed this letter sure. of appointment. Yeah. There, there's no middle ground. <laughs> and, and so my question is, as we read through this, do his words really contain life and salvation? If they're being truthful, then Orson Pratt was an official apostle, official speaker for the LDS Church. He was considered an authority to speak for the Mormons and its doctrines, and so is therefore held to a higher standard of integrity and truth, especially since they have proclaimed that his words are life and salvation. But isn't Jesus the one who holds <laughs> the words of life and salvation? When did Jesus move over and make room for Orson Pratt or anyone else for mm -hmm. that matter? Consider the words of Jesus. Yeah, from John chapter 6, uh, verses 62 and 68. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So it's Jesus who has the words of life and salvation, not Orson Pratt. If Pratt did not speak according to what Jesus did, then he has no words of life and salvation, and he didn't. And as we go through Orson Pratt's words, most people will shudder at some of the utter nonsense he preached. Here's a good example. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the gods who dwell in the heaven from which our spirits came are beings who have been redeemed from the grave in a world which existed before the foundations of this earth were laid. They and the heavenly body, which they now inhabit, were once in a fallen state. Their terrestrial world was redeemed and glorified and made a heaven. Their terrestrial bodies, after suffering death, were redeemed and glorified and made gods. And thus, as their world was exalted from a temporal to an e eternal state, they were exalted also from fallen men to celestial gods to inhabit their heaven forever and ever." These gods, being redeemed from the grave with their wives, are immortal and eternal and will die no more, but they and their wives will be supremely happy. All the endearing ties of conjugal love which existed in their bosoms when terrestrial and fallen beings are now greatly increased and perfected, which serve to swell their souls with feelings of rapturous delight and unbounded love toward each other and with 
joys that are everlasting. Oh, this is really something else. But, you know, put this all in a nutshell. It's really a lot of prattle. Uh, But he is saying that our fallen worlds um, throughout the universe, the heaven is made from our fallen worlds. And now the word terrestrial means of the earth or earthy. Right. And so how can heaven be of the earth? But that's what he said. That's what he said it is, redeemed and then it becomes heaven. But find that in the Bible, just as, as Orson preached it, find it there. And if it doesn't measure up, then he has no light in him, no light, words of truth. Isaiah tells us that if we teach not according to his word, there is no light in them. So that's it for this time. And <laughs> <Fasc>, next time, <laughs> fascinating. we'll address more of Orson Pratt's absurdities, <laughs> if we can handle it, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Earl. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> Matthew 6.23, Jesus told the people that if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He said in John 3.16 that people refuse to believe in him because they love darkness rather than the light. Joseph Smith wrote that people should read Isaiah. And Isaiah said if they speak not according to this word, the Bible, then there's no light in them. So why, pe- why do people follow those who teach against the light of God's word? If you can't trust Jesus, who can you trust? If you can't trust Jesus, how can you trust a mere man? If you can't trust Jesus, then that means there's something wrong with you because there's nothing wrong with Jesus. And he is the only ones whose words are light, life, and salvation. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.